Welcome back to the Conclusion of the Matter podcast. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We'd like to welcome everybody back to our podcast. This uh, will be a second parter, which I won't spoil too quickly before I kick it over to Ren in a moment. But if you guys, our listeners, have any podcast ideas or topics that you would like us to discuss on future podcasts, you can email us at the conclusion of the matter at yahoo.com or you can text us or call us or let it be known. But Ren, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and let you remind us of what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, yeah. Well, as Robbie mentioned, glad everybody has tuned back in. We are picking up where we left off with our book report of Peter. Whenever we were talking about this, I guess it was Saturday, we were like, oh, yeah, 15 minutes a chapter. We'll be done in 45 minutes. And it took us 45 minutes to get through verse 11 of chapter 2. So I guess we figured y'all wouldn't want to sit for an hour and 20 minutes in one sitting. Well, we talked about the whole book, but could have made it their own two-parter. Yeah, they could have, or two-party, or, or put it two-party. Yeah, two that's party. right, or put it on like one and a half speed or something. You can listen to it, or double speed, and listen to it in twenty minutes. Make uh, it interesting. But anyways, we're picking up in verse twelve, and just to get a bit of recap, if you have not listened to the first part recently. Uh, the first part that we discussed towards the end of our episode last week, dealing with verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, uh, Peter then has transitioned to begin focusing on the false teachers, false prophets that are going to arise out of, from among the Christians, and they're going to draw people away into all sen- sorts of sensuality and ungodliness and lusts and things of that nature. And we talked about that some uh, going up to verse 11. So we'll pick up there in verse 12. We'll start reading there. But these, talking about those false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Uh, I guess I'll stop right there for now. But going back to verse 12, I guess, first of all, do y'all have anything? Uh, I think you're about to to make the point that I was going to. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, In verse 12, I don't know if this is the point that you're about to make, but the thing that stands out to me is the part where he says, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that stands out to me because more often than not, the people who I guess are loudest or the most opinionated about something are typically the people that are most ignorant about it. That's actually, oh, did I talk about that in a Devo a long, a long time ago? Something, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. You all yes. remember that? And in essence, it's this idea of 
the less you know about something, the more you think you know about mm-hmm. something. And so you tend to be more vocal about it. And I think, in essence, that's kind of what we're seeing here. They're blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. They're, as he describes in the beginning, they're like irrational animals. There's no thought, no wisdom, no knowledge. They're just basically set for destruction. I don't think this is necessarily a quote, but something I've thought and or said for a long time, the people who know the least speak the most. Yeah. And that tends to generally be true. And I think even kind of to, again, the point that you're making here, I think that sometimes what happens is people will like realize that they don't know what they're talking about, but when that person is questioned, they become very defensive yeah. and then you know have to kind of defend what they know, usually revealing what they actually right. don't know. Right. So, but good point. You have anything? I, I was just going to say how he likens, likens them to... He, the ESV says irrational animals. Um, other versions say like creatures without reason. It's like it's yeah. They don't think for themselves. They, I mean, they do, but they don't reason. You know, it's kind of like they're just following their nature, and that's what animals do, right? They follow nature. They don't, and that's something we. I mean, we follow our nature to a certain extent, but we should also, you know, use our mind to follow what God says. And and they're just following what feels good and and what what maybe instinctively comes to them. I, I guess is what he's trying to say here that. You look at an animal and they do something out of instinct, and you're like, "Man, why are they doing that?" You know, it's like yeah. doesn't make sense. But I don't know. They yeah. do things out of instinct or out of impulse or based on feeling and emotion. You know, and I think of the word that Peter brought up in chapter one about self-control. You know, they clearly don't have self-control because they're acting so you know quickly, yeah. so impulsively. Um, but I think it as we kind of go through this chapter, there's a lot of like symbolism that you see when he brings up brute beasts um, and then later in verse 14 having eyes full of adultery um, a heart trained in covetousness practice Um, there's several different just like symbolic things even particularly verse 17 there are wells or springs without water clouds carried by a storm Um, and then bringing up again that darkness or or blackness there's a lot of Mm -hmm. just figurative language and symbolism that makes kind of the danger of false teaching yeah. really, really clear and easy to understand because of that. Yeah. I think that this... I <clears throat> We referred to Jude in the last episode, too, because this parallels a lot of what Jude has to say, and he uses um, um, very similar talking about uh, storm clouds that provide no rain. It's like you see something that you think is going to benefit you, yeah. and it gives you nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's what these false these false teachers make prof make promises yeah. make going back to your point about wishing COVID away oh, yeah. or making promises that and could couldn't be delivered right and right. it's like you think about and I like the the cloud and the rain analogy that you know is thrown out there because you know we've been through a drought you know people have been through droughts farmers are like man oh look that look at that sky over there it we're going to get some rain and it just blows over and you Mm -hmm. don't get a lick of rain what good did it do you none right it left you with un un what i don't know what i'm looking for but like unrealized promises i guess it promises deep promise yeah something like that well and to go along with that the going back to verse 13 and 13 and then part of verse 14 the last part of verse 13, he says, They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. 
to me, that points to the type of false teacher that knows that they're teaching yeah. falsely, and they know that they're leading all these people astray, and that gives them joy, some sort of joy yeah. and pleasure, and they're reveling in that while they're sitting down with you, having a meal with you. Like to me, that describes just taunting, just the worst kind of person that you could really think of, because they know that they're leading these people away from the truth. But because of their greed, going back to what he talks mm-hmm. about in verse 14, they don't care. Mm-hmm. It's like in 1 Peter 4, or not 1 Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 4, or is it 2 Timothy 4, where he talks about they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. I think it's 1 it Timothy. Timothy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then also on top of that, in verse 14, he talks about they entice unsteady souls. They find those people who are unsteady, who don't know, maybe they're ignorant, uh, maybe they're immature, and they prey on those prey people. On the weak. And in essence, I mean, you look at like a lot of cults. That's exactly what they cults do. They yeah. go after those that are ignorant, those that are unstable, those that are unknowledgeable, and they feast on those people, so to speak. Well, you alluded to it earlier where he's going to, and we'll cover it in chapter 3, but his point is so that they take care that they're not carried away by this False, yeah. false teaching. You need to be again go back to that being confident in what you're what you're mm-hmm. told. And you know, Peter wrote in First Peter about the devil is a roaring lion, and we've all said it, we've all heard it. Mm-hmm. Who does what does the lion go after? The it weak. goes after the weak of the herd, right? And I think yeah. that same can be said for that. It kind of reminded me of. I'm not sure if this phrase technically goes with this i'm not sure where it comes from but like dancing on someone's grave i assume that kind of means kind of the similar point to what you were making a moment ago where they you know just kind of taunt they know that it's kind of like somebody who's who's struggling spiritually or somebody who's spiritually weak and then they know exactly what they're doing and then they're sitting there you know feasting in front of them and with them kind of almost taunting them so and like you said i mean it's just just like the worst person imaginable but again, because of their greed, because mm-hmm. of those desires, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah, and even, well, in verse 14, they have a heart trained yeah. in covetous practices and are accursed children. So, yeah. Uh, then again, in verse 15, it says, forsaking uh, the right way, they have gone astray, which goes back to the very beginning of this, what we've already talked about. They, these people that he's describing were once faithful Christians, but they forsook that way, they left it. And then he says, he uses another Old Testament example as he's done throughout the chapter, uh, the example of Balaam, the son of Beor, who li- who loved gain from wrongdoing. And you read of that record in the book of Numbers where, oh, I'm forgetting the king, which king it was now, but this king wanted uh, Balaam to come and to curse the Israelites so that he would be able to conquer the Israelites or so that at the very least the Israelites would not be able to conquer him. And he goes and he tries over and over again to curse the Israelites, but God never does until eventually, as we know, as Peter expounds upon here, he loved that gain. He wanted that wealth that the king promised to him. So he was willing to prophesy falsely. Um, In verse 16, talks about how the donkey spoke with a human voice, restrained the prophet's madness, uh, I think there's some that, when reading that Old Testament account, they try to kind of allegorize what is happening there. Peter tells us clearly the donkey literally spoke with with the human voice. And so 
Is y'all have anything else with verses 12 through 17? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, then we'll look at verse 18 through the end of the chapter now. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. All right, what are y'all's thoughts on that one? I thought um, verse 19 ties back to that where I was at where he the illusion of the promises promises of freedom when in reality they can't give freedom because them themselves are captive, Mm -hmm. even though they don't realize it. Um, They're captive to their own corruption. And I think a lot of people, they're blinded by it. And I think they're... I think you. I think you alluded to it um, last time. The arrogance and people yeah. are blinded by their own arrogance at times, yeah. and they mm-hmm. don't see what they're what they're really doing. Right. But I thought that was interesting there that they promise it, but they can't deliver it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I think that's a common conception of people in the world. They think being able to live the life that they want to live is freedom, and being able to. Uh, live in those sins, whether it's drinking or whether it's, you know, again, like we talked about fornication or homosexuality or adultery or any of those things, they think that that's freedom. But in reality, they're just slaves of sin and slaves of this world. And that kind of goes back to other passages in, throughout the New Testament. We're slaves of somebody. Everybody is. It's just, are we going to be slaves of those things that are going to send us to hell, or are we going to be slaves of of righteousness so that we might have eternal life? I was going to bring up pretty much that exact point. Romans chapter 6 pretty much says exactly what you just said. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And it kind of goes on through, um, through kind of the ending part of the chapter. Verse 20 also says, For when you were slaves of sin... You are free in regard to righteousness. So these passages are, I thought, were really similar because he, you know, kind of brings in that word slavery and brings up yeah. the same point. You know, you can either go this way with the false teachers and get this kind of uh, an effect, or you cannot. Um, but we've also even talked about some of those verses at the end of this section, particularly about um, knowing all of the spiritual blessings that we've had in Christ and then leaving those. Mm-hmm. And then verse 22, famously we've talked about, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. So somebody who knew what it was like to walk a, Christ, a Christian life, many of these false teachers yeah. who did, and then they left that and returned you know, to the vomit. You know, We've yeah. talked about that on previous episodes as well. Right. So. And I would say not only them, but also those that are described in verse 18, mm-hmm. uh, because it talks about how they entice by sensual passions of flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. I think it's kind of referencing those that have been converted, but again, going back to what we talked about, maybe they're immature, they are ignorant, they're unknowledgeable, 
And again, it's those type of people that those false teachers generally go after. And so then they draw them back in to all of those sins that they were once living in. And which, as he states in verse 20, the first part of it, if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, to me, this passage in my mind has always been, and there's a number of passages, but the nail in the coffin for once saved, always saved. And I think, I, to, to be honest, I just, if you read the New Testament, I don't know how you can come away with that conclusion, or especially the book of Hebrews. I think the entire book of <clears throat> Hebrews. I think it comes, well, I think it comes down to what you want to hear. Yeah. Do you want to really see it for what it is? And I think when people actually are honest with it and the scriptures and they say, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I'm not always okay. Maybe I actually have to do something. Honestly, that doctrine of once saved, always saved kind of ties into the false teaching here because it's that idea of you're good. You basically can do what you want to do and still be all right. Yeah, the inter- what I find interesting is, and I think you you alluded to it, is that he said it would be better yeah. if you had never come to the knowledge of the truth, right. which mm-hmm. which I, my nail in the coffin, yeah. as a, so to speak, is Hebrews chapter 10 yeah. and verses 26 and following. But in that context there, um, he says in verse 20, 28, comparing, and he's comparing the law of Moses with the law right. of Christ there, but he says, for... He said in verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he says anybody that disregards the law of Moses would have been put to death based on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The very next statement, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? and has outraged the Spirit of grace. So that tells me, going back to it, is this person was once sanctified, and now they've spurned mm-hmm. it and turned their back on it. How much yeah. worse of a punishment do you expect? And I I, I see that in these verses here when yeah. he says it would have been better right. for you never to have known the truth. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just also an important reminder that he's kind of saying here throughout this entire chapter is... Think of all of the things that they say and think of all of the things that they promise. You know, the world promises, oh, well, you can mm-hmm. you can do this and you can do that. You don't have to, you know, really live like that godly if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, think of all of the, just like Peter says here, empty words, uh, promises of, of liberty, promises of freedom. You know, you can, you can live any way you want, um, but, you know, what's, what's attractive, obviously, is if you... If you get the end result of eternal life without having to, you know, go through all of these different trials and sacrifices, you know, giving up, maybe it's drinking or maybe it's uh, maybe it's like a certain lifestyle that you have to give up. You know, if you don't have to give those things up, most people won't. Mm-hmm. So why would you if, yeah. if you still get the same thing? You know, if you and I both both were to receive a hundred dollars and you had to go work to earn it, and I could just, you know, sit in here in the heat, yeah. you know, and just, like, take a nap or do whatever, then I, I think we'd both yeah. probably rather do nap. that yeah. than go out there and, you know, shovel the ice out of the out of the parking lot yeah. here. Y'all have anything else there? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, let's get into Chapter 3, then. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to stop reading. I'll just start and figure it out. Uh, So verse 1, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior 
through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Go ahead and I finish like, it up there. I was like, you, you know, pulled there's a fast just not one on really. Me there. I thought you were done at, at nine. But oh, no. But, kinda... but I was like, you know, there's only four verses left. Let me just go ahead and finish it. Okay. I mean, that's. I mean, you might as well finish because there's four more verses. So. Well, there's four more verses, but it's a different section. That was all dealing no, with the same because thing. Because it's got a heading above it. So that's but right. it is a different section because it's his conclusion. This guy. Mm. Anyway. All right. So, well, I was going to, I just thought it was (laughs) hard to come back from that. uh, But uh, I just thought it was interesting. This didn't stick out to me to begin with. um, But in verse four, uh, again, and kind of in context, talking about false teachers, that word scoffers, that was always one of my favorite words um, growing up for some reason. I just thought it was really interesting. But anyway, verse 4, he says, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, in chapter 2, he brought up Noah. And you think of like how many different quote unquote scoffers were just, you know, roasting him all of the time because it had never rained before. And then here he's building this gigantic ark. And, you know, they're sitting there, hey, Noah, what you building there? You know, they're just like, just Day in and day out, just giving it to them for, for just continuously, and I think that's kind of like the same mindset that these people have too. That they're you know, they're they're same people that are gonna be, you know, kind of living it up for lack of a better way to put it, following their own desires, their own lusts, doing whatever they want, and bringing as many people over to their side as they want to, and then they're like, hey, how's that life over there, guys? Y'all enjoying all of those tribulations? You know, where's that eternal life at? And, you know, not talking about people who would we would say are quote-unquote believers, but, you know, I think of particularly not all, but some, you know, atheists, those who don't believe in God, those who don't believe in, you know, eternal life. You know, a lot of, many of the arguments kind of scoff at Christians, and yeah. it's kind of the same mm-hmm. thing. Is like, well, where's your God in this? Or where's, you know, your heavenly reward? And so... You know, there's going to be people that come and question our faith and scoff at us and criticize us. 
And we've got to make sure to not bend to that, but to remember what Peter brings up in chapter 1 about some of the spiritual blessings and promises that we have in the knowledge of Christ. Yeah. I I, I point to verse uh, verse 1. Again, he's saying... Mm-hmm. Not only in this letter, but his other letter. He why mm-hmm. is he doing it? He's bringing it by way of reminder mm-hmm. again. The whole repetition thing. He's not yeah. wanting them to forget this, um, and that's why we should not forget it, and we should continue to study and to continue to learn. And it's written. I think you said it last time. Is we never reach that point to where we're good. I mean. Yeah. I shouldn't say it that way. We never reach the point to where we're good enough right. to where we don't have to continue right. to grow. More like mm-hmm. Paul in Philippians yes. 3. He yeah. hadn't attained it yeah. yet. Yeah. Be diligent. But uh, I, I agree with you, Robbie. Is a, And these people that were saying this, he says they deliberately yeah, forget. They willfully forget. They, mm-hmm. they, um, they know that it happened, but right. they're choosing to ignore like, it. And, oh, what? And, and you, thought, you mentioned like scientists and things like that. Where's your God and evolution? Well, that's what comes to my mind here is that they ignore the fact that, in, in my opinion is creation makes more sense than <clears throat> evolution does. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It just, they're scoffing us and it seems like they're, they're deliberately yeah. missing well, the facts. Some of them are I just think, really downright disrespectful yeah. about yes. it too. And I think going to the, to what y'all are just pointing out with uh, scientists and things, sometimes they deliberately overlook the very laws of science and nature because it doesn't fit their whole they're theory of how the yeah. world came to be. What is it? The second law of thermodynamics, or first and second? Yeah, first and second law of thermodynamics, and you know, you think about spontaneous generation, all of this other, you know, just complete total nonsense. But they order, have order to say from chaos. Yes, but they have to say that it at least happened that one time, and so they overlook some of those very fundamental uh, known facts because it doesn't fit. And also, just going back to, I think you, Robbie, talked about some of the statistics of Christ fulfilling even just a handful of the prophecies that were made about him. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the statistics uh, for evolution and all of those things coming about, I don't even, I'm not even going to try to tell you all what the number is because it's such a huge astronomical number. I don't even know if we really have a word for it. I think just for eight prophecies, it was like one in 10 to the 16th power. Yeah. Well, so. I'm, I'm talking about like the odds of evolution. Oh, yeah. They're well, even, they're like, they're greater than that, much greater than that. I don't remember oh, yeah. what the, they exactly are, but it's like they have to ignore how incredibly unlikely that is because it doesn't fit their worldview. Well, I mean, and I think you really brought up like what I believe to be the most important point of that is that if evolution's true or if creation didn't happen as the Bible says that it happened, then you have to then compromise most of the most of the ma- major fundamental laws of science. And they're not like theories of science, laws yeah. of science, you know. Yeah. And even without being said, there's a lot of like kind of implications there, you know, with gravity and some other laws of science as well and laws of physics. And, you know, none of us are like mm-hmm. physicists or, or scientists to any stretch, but you know, if God didn't create all of these things, then the argument more or less is that nature created all of these things. And how could nature violate itself? How could, yeah. um, and we could spend a yeah. whole podcast, yeah. and I think even I to think a certain degree, have. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to, you know, beat the dead horse on it, but you know, it, there's a book, Ryan, called 
I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I can yeah. never remember the name of the author, but that's certainly oh, kind of making the same Frank, point. Frank Tur Frank Turek, maybe. Yeah, that Frank might Turek. be. Frank Turek definitely is. is an apologist. I, I that sounds like hmm. he may have written this one. He, um, I know he definitely wrote like a case for a creator and a case for God. There's like a series out. But that sounds right. He may have even co-wrote, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. But regardless, it might be a book that some of you guys might be interested in. Um, there's several different, particularly on Apologetics Press, several good yeah. different resources on yeah. that, on those topics as well. Yeah. Um, just the other thing interesting is Peter has now alluded to Noah twice in this letter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He alludes to him in his first letter. Does Does Peter think? The Noah account is fact, or does he think it's yeah. allegorical? Like, yeah. well, it didn't really. It's just a figurative language, or whatever. I think it. This just goes fact. to prove, yeah. yeah, that it's a fact. He yeah. says it, it happened, and and God used it for a purpose. He's gonna destroy this world differently this next time to where it's total destruction. And then, as you were talking there, Robbie, um, a lot of people misconstrue verse eight to get into that. As we were talking about evolution, they the try to yeah, they try to use that as, but that's not what he's talking. He's just talking no. about God's on a different timeline. Yes. God works at His own. Don't get caught up in the fact that, well, God, you're slow. You promised you would send Jesus back. Why haven't you done it? Yeah. Apparently, He's not ready. Yeah. So talking about being prepared for mm -hmm. when that day comes, whether it's right. today, tomorrow, ten and years I, from now, hundred years from now, he's getting ready. It. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and going back to that, the whole reason why. God is waiting, verse 9, is so that all who will would repent, repent. and come to him. And that's mm -hmm. the whole reason why he's waiting. And then people use that to blaspheme him and scoff at him and say, well, he's when is he ever going to come back? Mm -hmm. It's to wait for you, dummy. Mm -hmm. He wants you to come back. <laughs> yeah. He wants you to <laughs> repent. Uh, I don't know. But y'all have anything else on, on verse 9 at least? No. no. Okay. Uh, Not that we haven't talked about before. Yeah, yeah. Then he gets into, of course, verses 10 through... Verses 10 and 11, I guess, specifically, where he talks about the destruction of the earth. And I don't know if we mentioned this specifically, but uh, earlier in verse 7, he's comparing the destruction of the world during Noah's day with the destruction that's going to come at the judgment day. And, of course, Noah, hit the world then was destroyed with water, mm -hmm. But as he states in verse 7, the world and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Uh, and he describes that destruction here in verses 10 and 11. and Well, I guess also in verse uh, 12. But in essence, that fire is going to totally eradicate and destroy everything. In fact, he uses the word dissolved a couple of times here. And that idea is it's, it's going to be completely, totally gone. It's going to be worse than the flood. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because with the flood, it, they kind of restarted with Noah, but there's not going to be a It's total a destruction yeah. versus chaos, I right. would say, or chaotic destruction. It's gone, gone. Yeah. But, you know, he talks about the thief in the night, going back to that preparedness. is like, right. you don't know. Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, it, if he told us when, then everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but then people could go do what they wanted to and then just try to make it right Got to be prepared for whatever date, yeah. and that's not the point. God wants to know who's going to serve Him because they love Him, not because right. 
Because if we knew the day, that's exactly what yeah. everybody would do. Yeah, yeah. Or if we knew the You'd day... You'd have a PR for yeah. conversions the day before. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> uh, but to go along with that, which we've already alluded to in verse 11, the second part of it, knowing that that day is coming and that we're going to face God in judgment, this world is going to be destroyed, he says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Kind of, in my mind, connecting that back to those false teachers in chapter 2, that we're going to try to pull them away into all of those sensuality, all of that sensuality and ungodliness. He's saying, if you know that God is going to come and he's going to execute judgment, that should really shape the way that you live your life, going back to what you were just talking about, so that you may be ready uh, for whenever that day comes. you have anything else? Mm-hmm. No. Well said. Uh, then after that destruction, of course, we wait for the new heavens, the new earth in which righteousness dwells uh, to be in heaven for all eternity with Christ as we see John 14, 1 through 4. He is going to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we may be with him also. Okay, the last part of the chapter then, the last part of the book, verses 14 through 18, again, kind of his concluding remarks, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This really, as I'm looking at it now, is kind of a synopsis of the entire book. Verse 14, talking about being without spot or blemish, going back to chapter 1, making our calling and election sure by well, putting on those characteristics, qualities. again. Yeah. Do your best to right. find, be found by him when he returns in this state. Right. And right. he really says a whole lot about just kind of what he's already said about false teachers, particularly yeah. at the end of 16, that they... Uh, that unstable people twist to their own destruction, and they do also with the rest of the scriptures. Um, I'd even thought that he kind of almost like wraps up as he started. I was looking at verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think of how he opened this letter. Mm -hmm. Kind of closes on the same point there. Verse 15 has has become one of my favorite passages and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just that part right there, because yeah. it tells me, going back to verse 9, his patience right. is serving a purpose, and it's allowing me to get everything in order yeah. and make sure I am okay. He's giving me time, and that right. is part of that salvation, is using it the right way, Right, I think. Yeah. The time that yeah. he's given Absolutely. us is, is uh, something that... Redeeming the time is what Paul says, yeah. right? Making the best use of your time at to to make sure that you are living the way that you're supposed to and you've got your just ducks in a row, right. as they say. Yep. It kind of even reminds me of what we were just talking about, you know, since these things are true, what kind of mm-hmm. persons or what yeah. kind of lives yep. should we live? Yeah, absolutely.
Then he refers to Paul's mess, Paul's letters as scripture, as scripture which I think yeah. is important. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing, branching off of that, whenever Paul is writing in First Timothy chapter five about elders, and he says, as the scriptures say, "Don't muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain." That verse is Luke. not found in the Old Testament; it's only found in Luke. Luke. Yeah. So we have some of these kind of internal confirmations of that the writings of various apostles were considered scripture even in the first century. That's another point that he brought up in chapter 1, I believe, too. Right, right. Uh, Well, do you all have anything else? I just just wanted to hit on verse 17 again, because you kind of alluded to that last week. Oh, yeah. Is that the purpose of this is so they know this is going to happen, so take care, which goes back to that doing your best, that you are not carried away by these false teachers. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got a res- you've got a job, right? And we say, well, Solomon said, "Fear God and keep His commandments." I mean, you could throw this in there. Be confident in what you've been taught. Don't be pulled away by false teachers. Do your best to be found without spot or yeah. without blemish, and you're good. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. you're good in God's eyes. I mean, it goes back to what you pointed out in First John chapter five, verse thirteen, yeah. that you can know that you have eternal life. Right. You can know yep. the state you're in. Absolutely. Right. I think another just obviously he hits on this throughout the the book, but obviously it's such an important point is that false teachers are something to be taken very seriously. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we feel like, well, I, you know, I go to church, I read my Bible, you know, we do all these different things. It's like, it can't happen to me when clearly, you know, he talks about it in both of his books. Uh, Paul writes about it in Ephesians, Galatians, the Hebrews writer warns about it. So like there's multiple times throughout the New Testament that warns against false teachers coming in and deceiving you. Mm -hmm. And each time it either says to make sure that, you know, we've been growing and know what the Bible says or, um, or kind of by extension there, just having like a clear understanding of God's word to begin with. Um, So make sure that we don't kind of feel like that we can't also become victim to them, but we need to be on our guard as well. Uh, in his first letter, you know, be be vigilant. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, I just thought of something that we probably talked about before, but his point there about Paul's writings, some things are hard to understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we say that oh well, salvation, the gospel plan is simple. Yeah, I mean, the basic gospel plan is simple, right. but there are some passages that are hard to to understand, and it takes what it takes true reasoning right. to. Mm-hmm. And work to get to the answer. Right. And to his point here, to go along with that, I would say the things that are matters of salvation are generally very clear-cut, simple, easy to understand. But then when you get into deeper theological things where it might be expounding upon one of those aspects of our salvation, how God works, things that are good for us to know, uh, that's generally when those false teachers, as he go, as he talks about, they go to those complicated passages and they twist them, they formulate opinions, they formulate doctrines, and then they apply that interpretation of a complicated passage to the remainder of the Scriptures. And because of that, as he states, they twist it to their own destruction because they go to those passages that are so hard to understand to formulate those ideas and those teachings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the majority of false doctrines that I know of do that very thing. They make... make things far more complicated than they really need to be. Uh, That's a good point. Anything else? 
don't nope. think so. Okay. Well, thank you for hanging around for part two of Second Peter. I guess for now we can say that that is the conclusion, conclusion of the matter. matter.